Hello, my little nuggets. This is your good friend Sue Storm with a special episode of In Bed that was requested by several listeners, and I am more than happy to do this because I'm going to be discussing ways that you can beat negative thinking and anxiety. What I'm not going to do is tell you a bunch of boring, dry information peppered with psychobabble that you can find everywhere. You know me, I'm going to cut to the chase and give you real techniques to help get you through your own personal hell and find your way back to your own personal happy instead. Um, I'm going to start by telling you my own story so that you can see that I'm not just someone telling you what to do based on textbooks I may have studied decades ago. I'm just like you, a human being dealing with a lot of bullshit. So this isn't a BDSM episode in any way, shape, or form. This is me, as a human being, talking to you as a human being. And for anyone thinking of judging me and what I'm about to share with you as weakness or that I'm not dominant enough because I'm human, here's what you want to do. I want you to go outside and I want you to find the most beautiful tree you've ever seen in your life. I want you to go over to the tree I want you to sit down underneath it, get nice and cozy, and then fuck yourself. Dominance is not based on someone's perceived strength. It comes, in many cases, from struggle. From finding your way through different challenges and coming through them a different and stronger person. Not someone who has never known struggle at all. Before you are dominant or submissive, Before you are gay, straight, bi, trans, or any other way you identify yourself, before you are male or female, before you are a skin tone, you are a human being. Every single one of you. You all feel, you experience pain and sorrow, joy and strength. Even the most narcissistic sociopath bleeds when you cut him. So before you judge, remember, you too are human. Part of the reason why I got into the psych field at all is because even as a kid, I wanted to understand how people thought and why they did the things they did. This is because I grew up in an abusive household under the rule of a psychopath. It's also the reason why I find studying psychopathy and forensic psychology so interesting. I wanted to know why the adults in my life were so incredibly fucked up. Now, I have PTSD, as does my sister, and I have suffered chronic depression my entire life due to what we experienced. I have gone through periods where I cut myself. I have on several occasions wanted to kill myself. I have suffered through countless panic attacks. And I don't tell you this for sympathy. I'm telling you this because I want you to know that I get it. That just like you, I'm human. But there's light at the end of that deep, ugly, dark fucking tunnel, even if you can't see a pinprick of that light right now. Will you conquer your mental issues forever? I'm going to be honest. It's not likely. Why? Because you're a human being, not a fucking robot. I think that's what pisses me off most about some of the self-help gurus. They make it sound like if you just think positively, your life will immediately transform. Now, they're right, it actually is that easy, but I'm being honest here. It's also not that easy, because we're human. We're fallible. We fuck up and we revert back to old patterns very easily. So although the adage of just think positively is essentially right at its core, it's also trite and unrealistic. Case in point, me. I spent years unraveling everything I went through as a kid, probably not unlike most of you. To find someone who's had an idyllic childhood is like finding a fucking unicorn these days. I had shrinks who were good, and shrinks who sucked, and one who I think was good, but I wasn't ready to hear what he had to say. So, that happens. It was the really good ones who whet my appetite further for studies in psych land. But I had conquered panic attacks and depression. Now, let's be fair, total transparency here, depression with pills, okay? I am one of the ones who has tried many times to come off of antidepressants and it just doesn't work for me. 
I'm much better on than off. And I'm okay with that, because it's about me being happy, nothing more. Some of us can do it without drugs. Some can't. I'm a can't. But even with the drugs, you still have to work it. They aren't that magical. They even you out. But you're still going to have times when you're down. You will still have to deal with tragedy. And because the drugs don't make the memories go away, they just make it easier to look at them rationally. You still got to deal with life, guys. Now, I've been pretty much sailing through the past 10 years or so with no major issues. But I'm an empath. I feel people's emotions. I feel shifts in energy very deeply. I'm very sensitive to changes in human emotion and changes in overall energy. My daughter is the same way. And for the last several years, we kept feeling something big was coming. Neither one of us could put our finger on what, though. And then as the time got to be in 2019, it started to really get bad. It turned into anxiety, which I have suffered from and have done really well at squashing. But again, I can't put my finger on what was making me feel anxious. And it was a relatively low-grade anxiety. It was livable, more like a nagging feeling. Now, I had my ex-husband crop up in my life again in December of last year, financially. He owes me tens of thousands of dollars in back child support. Suffice it to say, I had to hire a lawyer yet again, and this man has not been in my life since 1989. Seriously. (laughs) Sidebar here, though, ladies, be careful what you breed with. They stick to your shoe like shit you cannot scrape off. But anyways. So, okay, so that's December of last year, and it's annoying again, but it's not devastating. He's a fucktard, Cal Surprise, right? But my anxiety is ramping up. Move into January of this year, and my beloved dog of 13 years had to go home. So we had to deal with all that at the end of January. Again, I'm devastated, but it's not something that would cause this underlying feeling of something coming. It wasn't sudden. Then the news drops of COVID, and it all became crystal clear. Guess who has a fear of just this pandemic scenario? Moi! If you listen to the show regularly, I told you guys on the December show of last year that I thought 2020 was going to be a roller coaster ride from hell, so strap in. I also told you I didn't know exactly why. Clearly, everything we've been through this year is what I was talking about. I just didn't have the details at the time. It was just a feeling of impending doom. So in February, this is it, it everything just un- starts to unravel. So in February, I was trying to get my teeth cleaned and had switched to a new dentist. I thought she was going to be epic. Turns out she's a fucking mess. Anyway, I go in for the initial consult and they take my blood pressure and it's high. Now, I don't have high blood pressure, so it freaked me out. (laughs) Great. Let's just add a little more to the anxiety, shall we? Okay. She does a once over and I book for cleaning. I come in the next time for the cleaning. I think it was like maybe a week or so later. And blood pressure is still high. And they won't work on me because of it. So they book me for the following week. Now we're getting down to the first few days of March here. I go in and it's still high. Only it's hella high. And now the dentist is freaking out. She is tripping hard. So what does she do? Now she doesn't quite understand that I am under the amount of anxiety and pressure and freaking out that I am. Because as everyone knows... Sometimes when you're anxious or even when you're depressed, you do your best to just kind of make it through life and no one really knows what's going on. So, you know, it's like, "Eh, you know, everything's fine. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm ready to, you know, my head's going to explode. So what does she do? She freaks. And I mean freaks. So she goes, you need to get to the ER now. I mean now. Don't go home. Go to the ER now. Okay, so (laughs) imagine what my anxiety did. Ready? My anxiety was just like, off the chart. Done. So now, now I'm in a constant state of terror with no discernible reason other than the high blood pressure. I mean, I could cry at the drop of a hat, which I was doing. I was skittish. Ugh, it felt like there were ants under my skin. It was hell. Essentially, this dentist ramped up my anxiety 
to an almost inconceivable level because she was clearly paranoid. So I dissolve into tears, and I'm talking hysteria. By this time, I know that a virus is loose, God knows where, I'm still grieving my dog, I have this dentist absolutely birthing kittens in my lap, I call my husband and tell him I'm on my way to Emerge and have him meet me there with our daughter. Um, I pull up to Emerge and park. I turn to get out of my car and the meniscus tears in my right knee. Total random accident. So now I'm crying my eyes out, not just because I feel paranoid. Oh, it's still there. Now I am in so much pain. You have no idea. And I'm trying so hard to get out of my car and start, and I mean, millimeter walking to get to those front doors. And it's a small town hospital. It's not like, you know, it's bustling with people. There's no one there to help me. And I mean, I'm basically crawling. Like, that's how bad it was. So I'm going super, super slow. Just as I get to the doors, my husband and daughter get there and they got me a wheelchair. Thank God. Now, I have to explain to them what the fuck just happened with the dentist and what the fuck just happened to my knee. Then I get inside and I have to explain to triage that I was originally there because of the blood pressure issue, but guess what? Now I'm here because my knee is formally fucked. Here I am in a fucking hospital emergency department when a virus is spreading and no one knows where or how. My germaphobe level shoots through the frickin' roof. So obviously the anxiety's unraveling even more. When I finally get to a stretcher in a curtained bay, I unraveled. That was it. I was there hearing people screaming, monitors going off, shits all the people are running around. It's an emergency department, right? Now I'm trapped. Um, I can't walk. I figure I'm about to stroke out at any second. There's a virus lurking somewhere. And I am just completely unraveling on this gurney. So I can't run and hide to my house because I can't fucking walk, let alone run. So I felt like a sitting duck. It felt like everything was coming at me like a speeding train. I couldn't stop crying. I tried, but I couldn't. My husband, God bless him, was trying everything he could to keep me calm. At times I would silent cry because I was trying not to freak anyone around me out. And all I could think of was, it's coming for me and I can't do anything to stop it. I was a complete bag of toys in that moment. I just kept repeating over and over, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. I've been blessed, though, when moments like this happen in my life, and yes, although they go on for days or weeks, they are only moments, try to keep that in mind. I always come across really good sound advice, and luckily the doctor who was on that night finally came to see what was up and explained the blood pressure issue, which by that time my blood pressure had dropped. (laughs) It was like, he goes, trust me, it was just stress. You were freaked out about going in. So he gives me a further really good explanation of what's going on. So I'm I'm calming down about the blood pressure thing. And I was finally able to calm my thoughts down because, God bless him, he gave me a Valium. So that was good. It was able to calm me down enough that I could think much straighter. I'd love to say that one magical pill did the trick and I lived throughout the lockdown in bliss, but let's face it, it doesn't work that way. You see, we can't get opioids or tranquilizers here. They are strictly controlled by the government. Even doctors can't just dole them out like candy. So I was still a piece of rope coming unwound. It was just slowed down. I spent most of my lockdown on the second floor of my house because I couldn't get up and down the stairs. I couldn't even walk. I had to wait for someone to chuck me food in between their shifts. And all I did was focus on that motherfucking virus. I was absolutely terrified of it. It felt like an unknown, unseen enemy, which obviously made the anxiety worse. So why do I tell you this tale of woe? Because I want you to see that no matter what life throws at you, you can get through it and come out on the other side just fine. That even strong people have weak moments. And it's okay to fall down the rabbit hole for a while. We just don't want you to stay there. At the time, my doctor asked me if I wanted some help through a program the government had to help with anxiety using cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT. 
not the same CBT we play with in BDSM. Although when you boil it down, some of what we do in cock and ball torture could probably be cognitive behavioral therapy. There you go. But I thought, what the fuck? Can't hurt. And they would do it via the internet and by phone. Perfect. I can't leave my house. I can't get out to go anywhere anyways. So, plus there was COVID and, you know, can't walk. Nobody's allowed to go anywhere. And this is where I want you guys to see how bad the mental health system is. I had to answer a bunch of questionnaires and do a phone consultation with someone. Totally cool. All I wanted was to see if maybe someone had new techniques that were out there that I didn't already know about that could be helpful. Well, because of my PTSD, my file gets flagged, saying I'm not allowed to do the CBT program, and that I needed full psych. Wrong. (laughs) So I was put on a three-month waiting list. Well, if you've ever suffered with anxiety, it's not something you can wait three months to address. It's kind of a now thing. And I'm talking hella anxiety, not just little anxiety. Little anxiety, sometimes you can work with it, you move through it, you get used to it. Some people live with it. This was off the chart. So it was like, we deal with this now, I ain't going to wait three months. So I threw up my hands and went back to two things. Shit I already knew to help myself and my personal faith, which is in no way religious. Once again, if I can do this, you can do this. Because I'm just trying to show you how freaked out I was. Depression and anxiety are two different states of mind. Depression is based on negative thinking, and anxiety is irrational thinking combined with intense fear. And yes, you too can be the lucky recipient of both. Let's start off with depression, though. Okay, so how do you know if you're depressed? Well, first of all, don't try and diagnose yourself. You really should go and see a doctor because you don't have the skills to do this. But I'm going to throw out some of the common things that probably some of you already know about. So some of the symptoms include feeling down through the day on most days, loss of interest or pleasure in everyday things or things that you used to enjoy, feelings of either restlessness or being really slowed down, a loss of energy and extreme tiredness, and that can also manifest as either too much sleep or not enough sleep. Feelings of heavy or excessive guilt, whether it's real or perceived. Weight gain or loss, but it needs to be like a 5%. So, I mean, we all gain and lose weight, so don't panic on that. Difficulty thinking clearly. Difficulty making decisions. That's a big one. And obviously thoughts of suicide or death. Now, before I go any further, if you're having thoughts of suicide, I want you to call a hotline in your country. It's not a show of weakness, and they won't send the cops or anything unless you're really ready to check out. Sometimes just chatting with someone about your thoughts can help you sort them out a bit clearer. Most people who have suicidal thoughts don't really want to act on them. But it's a sign you're in a dark place, and you need to get more help than just anything I'm about to suggest, okay? Or any self-help book, for that matter. And it's okay to talk things out. And the most important thing I want you to remember here is, we want you here. You may not feel it right now, but we do. And I know you might be sitting there thinking, you don't know me. How could you possibly give a shit? I don't have to know you to know that you are needed here. You are wanted here in this physical form right now, no matter what you're enduring. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Why? Because number one, you are a unique and special person. You are unlike anyone else on this planet. And because of that, you want different things for yourself than, say, I do. It is our differences that make this world function. And I want you to realize that you deserve to be happy. It's the only reason we are here is to find our individual happy. And you don't have to know what that is right now. Because it's the journey to that destination of happy that causes creation and forms your life. You know I always end the show with be happy. Be happy. You're here to be happy. And you can tell how you're doing on your journey to your happy by using your emotions as your scale, as your guidance system. Obviously, if you're sitting in despair and despondency and a complete feeling of worthlessness, you're at the bottom of your emotional scale. So clearly, nowhere to go but up, which is great. 
I know some of you will be sitting there thinking, how the hell can I find my happy if I don't know what I'm looking for or I've never felt happy before? I'm sitting at the bottom of this black fucking pit, feeling like there is no point and you're telling me to find my fucking happy? You've got to be fucking kidding me right now. I get it. I get it. This is why bullshit like, think happy positive thoughts doesn't work that well. Because when you're feeling like shit, how the hell are you supposed to think positively? You're asking someone to get whiplash trying to go from one to the other. And I'm not asking you to do that, I promise. When you're sitting down in that pit, close your eyes and remember that there are people right now, just like me, who want you here. And all you really have to do is not think happy, positive thoughts, but just find a better feeling thought. That's all. So if we look at where you are and when you're in the pit and your mind squirrels are chattering over and over and you can't shut them up and all those thoughts are telling you lies, all you really have to do is find a thought that is better than despair. So if we look at our emotions as our guidance system, despair and hopelessness will be at the bottom of our scale, and joy will be at the top. The thing is, there's a ton of emotions between despair and joy. So when I tell you I want you to find a better feeling thought, believe it or not, anger is moving up the scale. So if you can move from hopeless to pissed, you're actually doing better. Baby steps, guys, not whiplash-inducing steps. So right now what I'm going to do is we're going to look at some of the mind squirrels you could be dealing with when you're depressed. In the clinical world, these are called cognitive distortions, but think of them as lying squirrels. It's easier. Okay. First squirrel, no shades of gray squirrel. Okay. This little shit sees everything only in black and white, no gray area. He tells you you're a bad person and then backs his opinion up with his own version of fake news. He doesn't get that life is not good, bad, yes, no, black or white. This type of thinking keeps you from enjoying life's subtle nuances because nothing is simply black or white. Then we have our presto changeo squirrel. He pops up in relationships a lot. This mind squirrel feels that everyone else should change to make you happy. He makes you feel like the rest of the world should give in to your demands. I'll give you a BDSM reference on this one. This squirrel feels that if his wife could only fuck other men, his whole life would be better. Or if his boss was nicer, his job would be better. Choosing to listen to this squirrel makes you perpetually unhappy and everyone around you miserable trying to jump through your ever-changing hoops. Then we have Doom Squirrel. This little dude will make you feel like there's no point. You decide that there's only one outcome and it sucks. Therefore, every single thing you do will suck too. Therefore, there's no point in even trying because you already suck. Doom Squirrel overgeneralizes everything. Then we have Drama Squirrel. This little rodent takes your logical reasoning in an emotional moment and chucks it. He can talk you out of anything as long as you're already upset, scared, or anxious. Got a huge presentation coming up? Well, the fact that you're freaking out about it clearly shows that there's no point in doing it. If you're already depressed, this squirrel will make you want to jump to conclusions that have no basis in reality. This squirrel hangs out with another squirrel coming up called Miss Cleo Squirrel, but you'll find they all interact very well with one another. We also have Martyr Squirrel. He's friends with Drama Squirrel and No Shades of Grey Squirrel. This little idiot has decided that because you're a bad person, that's why everything in your life sucks. If you could just do better, be nicer, more compliant, surely the universe will reward you for the last nail you just hammered through your palm into your own personal crucifix. And because everything sucks, clearly, you haven't done enough. Time to go get some more nails. Now we got Shoulda Squirrel. This little guy is super popular. He's a combination of two different sort of distortions, personalization and shoulda. See, he assumes that everything that's wrong is his fault. Girlfriend got her period and is bitchy. I should have known it was period time and could have been nicer. Sorry. I should have been nicer, happier, cuter, slimmer, richer. Pick one. And the list goes on. Usually followed by a perpetual I'm sorry 
Either way, it's all your fault. Sorry. Then we have Chicken Little Squirrel. This furry fucker is constantly telling you the sky is falling. He is the king of making unscalable mountains out of molehills. Forget to pick up your dog food on your way home? Mm, You're such a fucking loser. You can't even remember something as simple as dog food? Now you're going to go home, your husband's going to freak out because Scooter has no dinner, and he's going to have to go back out, and that means he's going to be pissed, so he'll probably stop by the titty bar, pick up a stripper, fuck her, come home, tell you he's leaving you because you're so stupid, and now you and Scooter will be cold, hungry, and alone forever. Next we have Virtual Unreality Squirrel. This is the dude who puts on his VR goggles and sees nothing but carnage and destruction. He focuses only on the negative tiny details and doesn't look at the big picture. His mortal enemy is the rose-colored glasses bear who sees nothing but good things wherever he goes. You may have seen him in children's literature under the name of Eeyore. Then we have Miss Cleo Squirrel, just like I mentioned before. This particular mind rodent is really good at saying, I just know. I just know that my best friend secretly hates me. I just know that my co-workers are all talking behind my back. Karen looked at me weird this morning. I'll bet she's going to HR about me, and now I'll lose my job. Miss Cleo tends to then hang with Martyr Squirrel, and they talk about how, if only they had been better little squirrels, maybe Karen wouldn't be talking behind my back. Maybe they deserve her disdain. Meanwhile, Karen's kids missed the school bus, which made her late for work which was why she was looking so weird. She was late and totally didn't even notice you, let alone give you side-eye. And lastly, we have finger-pointing Squirrel. He likes to blame everyone else for his issues. You've probably heard this guy before. It's always his wife's fault, the sky's the wrong color blue, if he just had a bigger dick, if his mom hadn't taken him out of Little League. You know him. The problem is, the more you allow this type of thinking, the more you're giving all your personal power away. So these are just a few of the mind squirrels you probably deal with when you're depressed. As a matter of fact, you're probably dealing with several of them, depending on how active your negative thoughts are. But here's something you need to know. All of these squirrels are liars. Every single one of them. But they're also doing the job you asked them to do. You see, when you have a negative thought your mind looks for reasons to back it up. And if it can't find any, it makes them up. Which is how you can end up having entire arguments with your mother in your head and end up in an intensely shitty mood based on a fight that never happened. But by this same token, if you have a positive thought, it will also find reasons to back that up. This is why you're taught to think positively. And if we all lived in Candyland, thinking happy thoughts would be easy. But we don't live in Candyland, we live in Crazyland. I don't think anyone will argue that point right now. The world we are living in right now is so filled with negativity, hatred, and division. Telling someone to just think positively is an insult. Instead, remember your emotional guidance system. If you're sad, moving to angry is a step up. If you're angry, moving to slightly pissed is a step up. Don't try for sunshine and roses. Just try noticing the stems and feeling the warmth. That's all. Because the cool thing about working your way up incrementally is once you move from a bad feeling thought to a better one, your thoughts will then try to support the better one. So you're basically doing what I call pivoting. And the cool part is there are ways to go out squirrel hunting, too. That's where cognitive behavioral therapy comes in. It's also called cognitive restructuring, which is intensely clinical and dry. I just like to call it squirrel hunting. So I'm going to show you how to hunt and obliterate your squirrels. And if you like squirrels, you can pick another animal. You don't. It doesn't mean I like squirrels. I don't mean to be mean to squirrels, okay? Just because they chatter a lot. So the first thing you have to do is find your squirrel. That's the whole point of the hunt, right? Got to find the critters. And this is where relentless awareness comes in. I want you to start paying tons of attention to your thoughts. This is hunting. Paying attention to your thoughts is you hunting. We're looking for those negative thoughts. Because I don't have to tell you that we run on autopilot most of the time. 
essentially in living comas, and I don't use that word lightly right now. We are in fugue states most of the time, like Karen not even noticing you because she was dealing with her own shit in the moment. So what I mean by relentless awareness is, if you want to go squirrel hunting, you have to learn to pay attention to when they're chattering, otherwise you can't shoot them. I want you to take all those goofy squirrel thoughts we discussed earlier and start recognizing them when they hit. Start noticing more when the squirrels are getting restless. Eventually, you'll start to notice it when they first start, but at the beginning, you may not notice it until you're feeling like crap, like way down in the crapper, and you go, oh, crap, here I am. Remember to use your emotions as your guide. If you feel like shit, think back to what you were thinking about prior to that feeling. Remember, until you get used to doing this, you'll find yourself going down old familiar roads for a while, so be kind to yourself. This isn't something that you can get wrong. So, first thing is recognize the negative thought. Once you have that negative thought, write it down or put it in the notes in your phone. Now, score it on a scale of 0 to 100 as to whether you really believe that thought, 0 meaning you hardly believe it at all, and 100 meaning you completely believe it. What you'll notice is that the negative thoughts will be short, specific, and will feel to you like they are totally believable. But when you look closely, what you'll see is that they never pop up after a sequence of logical thinking. Remember what I told you, they lie. So the first part of your hunt is identifying the squirrel or the negative thought. Step two is to look at it and weigh the evidence of that thought. This means you need to step back from the thought and look at it through a different lens. Think of it as looking through a microscope. You're going to look through different lenses to magnify it and see if it's fact or not. And I can almost guarantee you that it will be a lie, not grounded in fact at all. Remember, a belief isn't fact. It's a thought you think over and over and over again until you believe it's true. That's why everyone has differing beliefs. So, we look through our logical lens, and this is what you do with your first squirrel. What we're going to do now is we're going to look through the logical lens, and you're going to ask yourself four questions about this squirrel. If you had a friend or a family member or someone you care about come to you with the same issue, what would you say to them? Another way to look at this question is to ask yourself if a child came to you with this issue, what would you say to them? Then, ask yourself how you would look at the situation if you weren't feeling down. Then, you ask yourself what it would look like to a person who wasn't depressed. And finally, ask yourself, is there any real evidence to back up this thought as fact? Now, in CBT classes, they will have you make charts and draw columns and shit. If you want to do that, then by all means do it. But you don't have to go to that extreme if you don't have the will. Because let's face it, when you're depressed, you really don't feel like doing a fucking bar graph. So just put those questions down on a piece of paper, the four questions. Put them down on a piece of paper, put them in your phone, and use them when you spot that rogue squirrel. Just always answer them honestly. You're the only one doing this, so like I said, there is no right or wrong answer. Then the last thing you do is come up with a better way to think about it. Remember, reach for the better feeling thought. It doesn't have to be magical. So let's use our Karen situation from earlier. She came in to work flustered, busy, and late. She blows you off, which makes you feel like a piece of garbage. The squirrels start chattering. Karen clearly thinks you're trash and is probably talking behind your back. So now you feel both down and probably a bit pissed, and your mood is changing all the time. Remember, watch your emotions. So, going through the questions, you would ask yourself, if someone came to you with that issue, what would you say to them? Well, you'd probably tell them that they're jumping to conclusions and that maybe Karen was distracted and perhaps you could go and talk to her to see if there's actually an issue or at least see if she's all right. If you weren't feeling down, how would you look at the situation with Karen? Well, I would imagine you wouldn't probably have even noticed that she was in a tizzy because you would have been occupied with something else and you wouldn't have given it a second thought. Now, what would the Karen situation look like to a person who wasn't depressed? 
probably the same as your prior question. It would again be something they slightly notice, such as Karen is late or freaking out for some reason, maybe because she's late. And that would be the end of the thought. It wouldn't take it any further. Now, is there any actual evidence that Karen hates you, doesn't want to talk to you, and not only that is talking behind your back? Well, no. She never said anything bad to your face, and you've not heard of any gossip at the office. So how would you pivot from here? Logical thinking. Perhaps Karen is having a bad day, and she wasn't being a bitch to me, and as a matter of fact, maybe I'm going to go check and see if she's okay. At which point you would have heard the story about the late school bus and realized that your squirrels were lying to you again. So you see how this gives you a technique to pull out your shotgun and blow your squirrels away one by one. And the more you do it, the less you'll have to do it. That's the fun part. Yes, it's annoying. And at first, it's like you're constantly seeing them. You're constantly trying to fix them. But eventually what happens is... The more you hunt your squirrels, the less squirrels you have to hunt. Now, another technique you can use is something called behavioral activation, or for something a little less technical, this is where Stella, that's you, gets your groove back. When we're depressed and down, our get up and go has got up and went. Motivation? What the fuck is that? Do any of these statements sound familiar? Now, think about this. I just can't deal with anything. Or, I will never finish this, so why bother? I'll never be any good at fill in the blank, so what's the point? Actually, what's the point of anything? Everything is fucking bullshit. I feel worthless and useless, and I can't even get out of bed. I know I can raise my hand on all of them. But your way out of depression is by breaking these thought patterns. The reason being, if you continue to think this way, your lack of motivation only brings you more reinforcement of the lack of motivation. So if you don't get out of bed, it just proves you don't need to. So who cares? Essentially, you become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So how do we get Stella's groove back? By planning positive activities that are easy, simple, and take very little time. So here's a great example. My basement is a mess. I need to go down there and clean it out and throw out three quarters of what's there, but the job seems so massive, I just don't go downstairs. If I don't have to see it, I don't have to deal with it. Here's how you can work on this specifically and apply it to your own situation. And I realize this is probably trite because everyone's situations are different, but it's just an example. So make a list. Yeah, this one I want you to do, but it's not a big deal. No columns or anything. Just sit down. Make a list of all the things you used to enjoy before you started feeling like crap. And try for small stuff. If you used to be a builder, for example, don't start with planning a new house. Start with planning a new birdhouse. Don't go big because you'll do what I did with the basement. It's too big and I'll just lie down till it all goes away. When you make your list, don't make making the list a big deal. That can happen too which is why I try to simplify this as much as I can, because when you're depressed, the last thing you feel like doing is chores and assignments. So give yourself some time to make the list because depression fucks with your memory too. Be kind to yourself. Matter of fact, get a notebook and start your list, and then you can add to it as you remember things. And obviously, this depends on the individual, but I'm talking simple things, taking long baths, going for walks, painting, writing, crafts, going for a drive chatting with an old friend, girls or guys' nights out. You see what I'm going for here? Granted, guys' nights out we can't do, but I'm just saying. You see what I'm going for here? It's not major stuff. So for me in the basement, I just broke the project down into smaller chunks, which is another thing you can do. Say your apartment looks like hell. You've not bothered to clean. You have fast food boxes and bags all over the place because, let's face it, you're in who-gives-a-fuck mode. Break it down to small chunks of work. So I would start with one room or one part of a room. One wall, for example. Everything against that wall I'll clean up today. Again, don't overwhelm yourself. It's okay to take this slowly. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you that if you chastise yourself and say, I'm so fucking lazy, I'm just going to do this whole fucking apartment. In that frame of mind, mm -mm, 
You'll do a tiny little bit, throw in the towel, then spend the rest of the day and night, because we know nights are bad, telling yourself you're a useless piece of shit because you can't even clean your own apartment. Which will then, what? Take you in the exact opposite direction you want to go. So now, what you're going to do is take your list of stuff you used to like and pick three things that you're going to accomplish this week. So make sure again that they're small. So say if your thing is knitting, it could be as simple as I'm going to knit 10 rows this week. I might do it in one sitting. I might drag it out. Doesn't matter. Then what you do is you cross it off your list. Now, you won't feel all woohoo at the beginning. And most cognitive behavioral therapists will have you keeping journals and rating your mood. If you want to do that, that's fine. But if you don't want to be bothered, all you got to do is make a little notation next to the activity on your list and rate it on a scale of 1 to 10 on how you feel about getting it done. 1 would be not feeling very motivated and 10 would be feeling really great and enthusiastic. So then what you can do is make another list of three things you're going to do the following week. So if we're knitting again, 10 more rows. And again, rate the experience. Even a change of a couple of points is a change in the right direction. So you may start your knitting by thinking, this is so stupid. This, who gives a rat's ass? So we'd rate that at a one. Next time you do it, you might think, well, it wasn't so bad. I'm starting to think it might be cool to see what this is going to look like finished. So we might rate that at a three. Mildly interested? Doesn't matter. That's moving in the right direction. Remember, we aren't taking you from feeling like garbage to feeling like walking on sunshine overnight. It takes time to pull yourself out of this, just as it took time for you to get where you are. Now, normally, a therapist will tell you that, say, cleaning a toilet is not a good thing for your list because it's not moving you in any direction and is more of a mundane task. So, therefore, it's not much of an achievement. Nay, nay, I beg to differ with that. If cleaning the toilet is something you want to do, do it. I don't care if it's mundane. It's still an accomplishment because you got your ass off the couch. So don't let someone else judge your list. And you don't judge your list either. So once you've accomplished a few things off your list, look at your list and refine it. Now, add some activities that will move you in the direction of being the person you want to be. So you can change some of your activities to best suit that. So great, you started knitting, but my guess is you probably don't want to become a famous knitter. If it is, then go for it. So you want to start looking at the things that will move you forward in the direction you want to go. For example, if I wanted to train dogs, well, then I'd pick some activities that would move me in that direction that are small, that I would enjoy doing. Again, don't make them big, just baby steps. The point of doing this is getting you to re-engage with the stuff you used to enjoy. But beware of the squirrels, because they don't like change. Nay, nay. Pay attention to those thoughts again, because we all know what you're going to hear. This won't work. You suck at it, so why bother? This is so stupid. This works for other people, but not you. The key, again, is that relentless awareness of your thoughts or mind squirrels. You may feel motivated on some days and not on others. It's cool. The key is to be Nike. Just do it. No matter what those little rodents are throwing at you, just do it. It doesn't have to be a marathon. Just 10 minutes on one list item. That's it. And here's the thing you never do. And I can say this for a fact because nobody does it. You're going to praise yourself for doing it. I don't care if it's just the toilet. You didn't do it before. So you pat yourself on the back for getting up off the couch and cleaning the toilet. You have a right to be proud of your clean toilet. This type of exercise is a great way to gauge, too, when it's time to hit the therapist's office. If you can't do anything at all, it's time to visit your therapist. And again, it doesn't mean you failed. It just means you need some more help. And believe me, we can all use more help. I've gone, as I said, to a few different psychiatrists over the years, and I don't have an issue with saying that. I'd rather wave a white flag than suffer, because you guys don't get extra brownie points for suffering. 
You're just torturing yourself, and you don't deserve that at all, ever. Okay, so let's move on to anxiety, shall we? Anxiety is a different beastie. You can have anxiety and not be depressed at all. That's how I was during this whole shit at the beginning with COVID. Or you can be depressed and also have anxiety. Anxiety, though, is actually good for us in small doses because anxiety is motivating. Sounds weird. What we needed it, you know, a million years ago when we were still in caves, we needed that to survive. Food's running short, you know, got to get out there and get it done. And if you think about it, what is the best motivator? Fear. What is anxiety? Intense and usually irrational fear. But there are different types of anxiety, such as panic disorders. This is where you have recurrent panic attacks that usually start quickly and last about 5 to 20 minutes. I used to have panic attacks and conquered them, but they came roaring back with COVID, as I told you. If you haven't had a panic attack before, they can consist of eh, different symptoms. Sweating, shaking, dizziness, shortness of breath, heart palpitations, a feeling of choking, tingling in your hands and fingers, nausea, ear ringing, digestive issues like cramping and diarrhea, and a feeling of intense dread, or in some cases that you're about to die. Not fun. Now, there's also another one our good buddy phobias. Phobias are an irrational fear of a situation, object, or animal. And for some, when they encounter their phobia, it can trigger a panic attack. Agoraphobia, for example, is a fear of being stuck in a situation you can't escape from. Lots of folks have this right now because of COVID. And it can cause you to never leave your home or travel on public transportation or visit crowded places because of the fear of being trapped, which would then cause a panic attack. And the possibility of living through another panic attack in itself causes fear. And another form of anxiety is the generalized anxiety disorder. This is where you find yourself worrying about a variety of different events and situations, basically feeling worried all the time. And even if an event that you're currently focusing on gets resolved, you're on to the next worry. And finally, there is social anxiety disorder. Having this can cause panic about being in social situations like parties, work, meeting new people. People with a social anxiety disorder tend to worry a lot about what others think of them. Although each of these anxiety issues is different, the core is still fear. Working on anxiety is very frightening. Why? Because you have to face your fears, and nobody likes doing that unless you're an adrenaline junkie. Now here's the kicker, though. The way you work through your anxiety issues is by doing what I just taught you for depression. You ask yourself the same questions about your fears and worries. So concentrating on whatever is freaking you out at the time, ask yourself these questions. What would I say to someone else or a child if they came to me with the same fear? If I wasn't freaking out, how would I handle this? And how would someone else who isn't freaking out about it handle it? And this is the most important of all. Is what I'm thinking logical or rational enough that I can find evidence to back it up? The answer to that is usually no. Now, friends and loved ones can be a great help with anxiety. Why? Because they can talk you down. Anxiety is like being on a roller coaster you never wanted to be on because you have a fear of heights. You're on that endless uphill pull. You're sitting in your roller coaster car and you hear that god-awful ticking as it's taking you up to that first drop, all the way up. You know it's coming, but you don't know when. Only you never reach the top. You just keep climbing. So what a caring friend can do is ask you those questions and get you to talk about the fear rationally. But you don't need someone for this because you're all amazing people. Just ask yourselves. But if you have the availability of someone to help you, then definitely lean on them. That's what friends are for. For many people, dealing with anxiety creates an unrealistic belief system. And again, I'm going to reiterate, what is a belief? It is a thought we think over and over until we believe it's true, but it doesn't mean that it is. 
And here are some of the beliefs you might have regarding anxiety. If I worry all the time, I'll be safe and prepared. Well, nothing can prepare you for big events. Think about something devastating that you've dealt with in the past. Could you have prepared for that? Probably not. So worrying is actually wasting your time. Another one would be, it's bad for me to worry. Now, worry can't kill you or make you lose your mind, nor will you die from it, even though you may feel like you might. Another one is, if I prepare myself for the worst-case scenario, I'll be ready for it, similar to the other one. No, you won't. You cannot prepare yourself for loss or disappointment. It's part of living. You can't escape it. (laughs) This is another good one. I was born to worry. My mom or dad worried, so this is my lot in life. Wrong. You have choices in life. You can choose to continue a pattern that isn't healthy, or you can choose a new pattern that will make you happy. And if you go back over the mind squirrels, you'll find that they work for anxiety too, because they're all really similar. Being sure of what other people are thinking, making something bigger than it is, overgeneralizing, I suck at whatever or everything, and labeling yourself. The problem is, these squirrels and irrational beliefs are keeping you in the pattern you're in and miserable. So let's say you're petrified of crowds. What you'll do is change your behavior to avoid it. You will grocery shop in the middle of the night or avoid taking public transportation because you don't want to be enclosed in a can with people so you start to walk to work. This doesn't fix the issue, it perpetuates it. Not only that, It can even make it worse because it starts to limit your life and destroy your confidence. So how do we deal with anxiety and get it under control? Well, there's a few ways. One is to face your fear. Scary, but it works. First thing you'll need to do is identify your fear. That shouldn't be too hard considering it's always on your mind. So let's say you have a fear of doctors. That's a common one. The problem is, if you have a fear of doctors, you will tend to let things that are physically hurting or causing you problems go until they become huge. So how would you get over a fear of doctors? Well, there's different ways of working through it, but ask yourself the questions first. Then you can start by doing small things. Going to the office building where your doctor is, but not going in. Then try again, only this time going to the lobby, but not up to the office. You can let your doctor's office know that you have this fear, and they will let you just sit in the waiting room with no appointment. Obviously, not during COVID, but you see how you take little tiny baby steps. Another great thing would be to befriend a doctor. Get to know them outside of their profession. The steps you take will be entirely up to you, but just keep it in mind that they need to be small baby steps. What you're doing is fear exposure, little by little. If you have, say, a morbid fear of spiders, start by learning about them. Look online at pictures and learn all the different species. If you start breathing too fast, look at the pictures and do calm breathing. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Long, slow, deep breaths. Then once you can look at the pictures without your fear ramping up, You move to a museum, where you can look at different species behind glass that are dead. From there, you might want to go to a pet shop and hold a tarantula, which, by the way, are very nice spiders. This is how you go through your steps. You can have 50 steps. It doesn't matter. Someone else might blow through their fear in three steps. There is no win or lose. You can't get it wrong. The trick is not to procrastinate. You have to make yourself do it. That's the hard part. When you're facing your fear, you need to be kind to yourself. Allow yourself to feel the fear. Even if you think you'll die, you won't. The worst thing that could possibly happen is you might faint, but you won't die. Ease yourself through each step by doing the deep breathing and being patient. And don't be distracted. You might think bringing a friend or repeating affirmations in your head is a way to deal with it. It's not. It's not allowing you to face the fear. You're prolonging your suffering when you do that. 
So when you're facing your fear, it's best to do it by yourself. Besides the other issues, bringing someone else will allow your squirrels to tell you it wasn't your accomplishment, it was your friend. With each step you take, monitor your fear levels, just like we did with depression. How fearful of it are you? As long as we're moving up a number or two, we're doing great. And then reward yourself for getting through that step. We never reward ourselves or praise ourselves. We are a dismal society who thinks that the only true path to enlightenment is through suffering, and that is utter nonsense. I hate the phrase, pay your dues. No one has to pay their dues to anything. You're not here to suffer. You're here to be happy. To find things you love and do them. Because if you do the things you love, that's where your happy lies. That's why you hear people say, do what you love, and then you're not working. Because it's true. Watch for your lying squirrels. You aren't going to die. I can't say that enough because when you're in a panic attack, you think you will. You've had attacks before and you came out okay. Remember, is the thought rational? If you feel like bolting from a situation because you're frightened, such as grocery shopping, you've grocery shopped before and you came out okay, you'll do it again. You're safe. You can do this. If you need to sit quietly somewhere for a few minutes and do your breathing and control your thoughts, do it. The point is, don't bolt. Work through each one of your squirrels by rationalizing and pivoting the thought. So going back to what I told you at the beginning of the show regarding my own panic attacks that came back at the onset of COVID, because of the FUBAR with the mental health services, I had no choice but to work on this myself. I knew I'd done it before, I just needed to go back to the basics that I just taught you. I started to rationalize my thinking. Is COVID coming for me? No, of course not. It's a virus. It has no ulterior motive other than to replicate itself and live by finding hosts. If I just do as I'm told, I'll be safe. Which obviously wasn't easy because the medical professionals didn't have a clue what this thing was and had no information and what information was coming out was changing as fast as it was being disseminated. Of course they didn't. It was new, hence the word novel. So I concentrated on what I knew I had control over. I don't leave the house. If I do, I wear a mask, use hand sanitizer, I wash my hands. These are things I can control. I can't control a virus, but I can control how I choose to respond to it. So like a snake, I respect it. It's real. Anyone who says it's not is an asshat and needs to get out of denial. But again, not your job or journey to fix stupid. I can't make everyone else wear a mask. I can't make them use sanitizer or stay 10 feet apart. I can only control myself. And this didn't happen overnight. I had to work through the worst of it step by step, just like you will. It wasn't a fun process, but it worked. I regained my control instead of giving my power to a microorganism, and slowly, day by day, I started to feel better. And the panic started to subside. If it rears its ugly head, and it will, I simply sit down, do my deep breathing, and go over the rationalization again. Is the thought I'm having being fed by squirrels, or is it fact? Every single time, it's a fucking lying squirrel. And if I can do this, you can. Because you can use that as your new belief to help you get your own. Because maybe you haven't been able to conquer your anxiety yet, so you can't say, well, I've done it before, so I can do it again. That's okay. Use me. Say to yourself, if the doc can do it, I can do it. Until you get through it and can say it for yourself. Remember, we're all human beings. Flawed, imperfect, wonderful human beings. Your quest for perfection will only leave you messed up. And I see that everywhere. Look at the Kardashians, for example. They do intensely negative things to their bodies in the quest for perfection. Why? because they get their validation through likes and followers. Don't get caught up in that false narrative. Be who you are, not what society or today's TikTok star is telling you you should be. 
because society is going to change its mind in five minutes. So you can't keep up anyway. Stop trying to prove to people who you don't even know that you're cool and you're perfect. You are cool and flawed, which is way better. Fuck. Women do that all the damn time on social media. Look at my tits. Look at my perfect ass. Look at my big lips. Sex workers notwithstanding. Stop. What do you care about what other people think of you? People who have never met you. What's important is what you think of yourself, not how many likes or followers you get. Those numbers are meaningless. Do the followers pay your bills? Not likely. There's not many who can make it to endorsement deal levels. And if they do, how do they do it? By being unique. Being different. (laughs) Irony. Because in the end, if you hate yourself, no one else is going to like you either. Listen to Mama Roo on that one. If you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love someone else? Each and every one of you is beautiful, sexy, and smart in your own unique way. <laughs> and yes, I just heard a million squirrels starting with, oh, bullshit, I suck. Ah, she doesn't fucking know me. Shoot them. Shoot them now. They're there. They're lying to you. You can see them plain as day. Start to shoot them. Listen, we're not meant to come to this planet in physical form to be all the same, and yet we strive to be all the same. But when you think about it, fit into what? You're already fitting in. You're breathing. You're here. And you're creating with every new thought you have. And the beauty of it all is the differences. If we were all the same, life would be so boring, we probably wouldn't continue as a species because there would be no creation. There would be no deciding what you like and what you don't like. Thus, no creation. What I want you to do is to be the weirdest, craziest, most unique person anyone has ever met. I want you to be who you are and get to where you don't give a rat's ass if anyone likes you or not. Because if you can do that, that's where your happy is. When you're doing shit you love, you don't even notice anyone else is around, let alone what they think. You're in the zone. You're living life at its fullest. You deserve to be happy. So take your control back and do something for you. Stop giving your power to social media and anyone else who doesn't deserve it. You are the most amazing person in the world because there is literally no one else like you. Not even if you have an identical twin. And we want you here. We need you here. And you are so loved. Another little trick is when you open your eyes in the morning and you're just coming to and you're lying in bed all cozy, start your day with thoughts of gratitude. Lie there and think about all the things you're grateful for. And again, it doesn't have to be huge. You can be grateful for having water to drink, for being warm and dry, for having food in your belly. Simple little things for having warm socks. Now, why would you do that? Because it starts your day positively. Remember, when you think a thought, other thoughts come to support it, positive or negative. So by focusing on what you're grateful for, It starts your mind in the right direction for the day. Now, I thought I'd do some searching for some other people's tips to get through COVID, the holidays, lockdowns, and etc. Here are some of them that I found. Um, And this is my first one. My first one is always stop watching the news. To stay in the loop, go over the headlines in the morning once, and that's it. Anything that happens through the day, you'll learn tomorrow morning. Nothing is more negative and bad for your mental health the news. Stay off of social media as much as possible. It's just as bad as the news and one wrong comment will set you off and it's not worth it. Maintain as much of a routine as possible if you're not working. If you were used to getting up at seven, get up at seven. Structure your day. Keep your meals as healthy as you can because loading up on sugar and processed foods only creates more brain fog. Exercise as much as you can for the endorphins and because exercise helps with serotonin levels, which also contributes 
to relieving depression. Learn mindfulness and meditation. Basically the same thing. It's the best way. I mean, oh my God, the best way to quiet your mind. I do it. And again, the key with doing any kind of meditation is to be nice to yourself. Okay? You're not going to stay focused for a very long period of time. I'm talking seconds when you first start. Doesn't matter. Those were a few seconds where your mind was calm. My God, the best way to kill a squirrel is meditation. Some of us have the patience, but if you have anxiety, it's kind of hard to meditate. I get that. But once you can calm the anxiety down, oh my God, please learn to meditate. It is just the best thing you can do for yourself, your mind, your body, physically. It's great. Um, What you can do is host a virtual holiday party. If you don't have friends or family, this is when you turn to social media. Create a group for folks who are alone during the holidays and have a virtual party. You can play games virtually, and I don't mean Fortnite. I mean, things like Monopoly can be played virtually online with the whole group of people. And stop discussing politics. It will only lead to someone being hurt because they don't feel heard. And finally, try something new. Always wanted to bake bread. That was big during the first COVID quarantine. Make bread. Whatever it is that you've always wanted to try, try something new. What the hell? Learn something. Learn a language. It's a great thing to do. And that's only just a few ideas. And if you Google it, you'll find hundreds of them that might suit your lifestyle better. I hope this show helped you a little in dealing with your own issues. If you find that you just can't cope, please reach out to someone you care about or to a doctor or a crisis line. Reaching out for help, again, never makes you weak. It shows great strength and courage. You aren't going to bother anyone. I know that's a huge one. Many folks who are desperate don't want to bother anyone with their problems. Notice me in the hospital with the silent crying. Bullshit. You aren't bothering anyone. That's what they're there for. To walk you back from the ledge we all get to at some point to hold your hand and show you that you aren't alone and that someone cares because we do care. I want to thank you guys again for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you for taking the time out of your lives to listen to the show, no matter what the topic is. And on the next show, I'll be interviewing Christine Kringle, also known as Sissy Baby Chrissy, who will be taking you through her own journey of self-discovery in ABDL and becoming an author. It's a wonderful interview, and I'm thrilled that she was brave enough to share it with you in a hope that you might feel a bit better about who you are and where you are in your own journey. That'll be on December the 15th. So, until we can be together again, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. But remember, the most important thing you can do is find your happy. Thank you, guys. <laughs>